Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. There we go. All right. Good morning. Man, it's been a little while since I've been up here, and I'm always excited to get up and, and share the word with you all. I appreciate everyone being here this morning. Those of you that are tuning in online, thank you for tuning in. I know we had some kind of wild wind yesterday, and it's kept a lot of people out. I know there's some stomach bugs going around. People can't make it in. So if you're tuning in online, I, I appreciate that. You know, I'd like to be up here a lot more, but it takes kicking Scott out of the country for a few days before they let me up here. So... <laughs> No, that's, that's a joke. So please be praying for Scott, Alice Kay, Sean, Norm, Becky. I think there might be a couple others that are in Uganda right now visiting Patrick and Eddie um, and seeing the church over there. And uh, definitely be praying for Patrick and Eddie because they've been dealing with Scott for the last week or so. All right, so we're going to jump right into this thing. So this week we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16 and in tandem Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8. Um, I'm going to read Ephesians 7 and 8 real quick. Uh, Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness along with wisdom and understanding. All right. So, to kind of elaborate on what's going on in 1 Samuel 16 and, and how... Those two verses coincide with this. Give you a little little backstory. So God chooses David to be king. We know that Saul is king and David is going to be his successor. But the, the bigger picture that I want to get today is what is grace? And um, just a reminder that there is a handout in your bulletin um, that goes alongside with the sermon today and it goes along with what's going, back, going on back in Promised Land with the kids. Um, Sorry, it's trying to get me to connect to the Wi-Fi here. Um, but the, the handout goes along with what I'm preaching on and, and what the kids are, are learning. And so parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody that's got kids in the back, please use this as a tool to engage your kids. Um, you know, if we're not raising them up in the church, we're not, you know, teaching them about Jesus, not teaching them apologetics, not teaching them about their faith, how to defend it, what they know, there's a gruesome, nasty world out there that's just waiting to sink their teeth into our kids, and it's happening at a younger age. So we definitely need to build them up, and please, I hope that you use this as a tool to engage them and, and see what they're learning. You know, they are the next generation of our church. We really need to make that conscious, conscious effort. All right, like I said, David has chosen to be king after Saul, but let's, let's flash back a little bit here, a little context from the previous weeks. Um, Israel's king was who? God. It was God first, and they didn't, they didn't want God anymore. They're like, we, we think we know better. We want to pick our own king. Israel wasn't having it. They're like, you know, we, we know better. We know, we know what's up. So we want to pick our own king. So they thought they could pick someone that could lead them better. It's weird how we've never learned our lesson, right? We even see it here. Just that, that same level of defiance in our culture today, and even in us as Christians. So they end up picking Saul. Now Saul checks all the boxes um, that are, are the worldly characteristics. He was tall, handsome, strong, um, exactly how Scott Rollins would describe himself. 
and now. Just because, Scott, you're out of the country doesn't mean I'm not going to crack jokes on you. Because I'm going to keep going, because I know when you get back, you're going to light me up for it. So I'm going to get them in while I can. So anyhow, they pick Saul on all this criteria that is physical, what can be seen. And what's important to remember as we get to David, that shifts, right? So we, we got Saul, and he's the people's king, and he's fair and about as well as you'd expect. He's about halfway listening to God, and, and uh, he's really trying to bend the rules. He's um, trying to weasel his way in and out of things. He's trying to bargain with God. And, and my brother's not here. I believe he's listening in, so I'm going to dog on him a little bit. When we were kids, he used to do this all the time. He's like, hey, the Bible doesn't say specifically this, so I can get by with it, right? And he, uh, he would get shot down 99% of the time. But let's call a spade a spade. Saul was being disobedient. You know, how, how many of us have been there? We try to bargain with God. God, if I could just win the lottery, man, I would do so much for the church. It would even make Scott proud. God, if I just get this promotion, I'll, I'll do this. Or, or God, if you just plant a nice hunk or a hot babe in my life, we can get married, and I'll give up this lust thing, and, and I'll, I'll start doing more at the church. Newsflash, you, you can't bargain with God. Everything that you have to offer, even your own life, with, within the realm of obedience or disobedience, God is going to use you for his plan, how he sees fit. Your life's already his. So God is, is fed up with Saul, trying to pull fast ones, and God's like, all right, pal, I'm, I'm going to take back the reins. I'm going to take back control. And I always use the analogy of the parent and child dynamic with God and his people, and you guys will probably get sick of hearing me talk about that, and that's fine, but I'm going to keep doing it. And we see this all throughout Scripture. So you, I got a little, little bit of uh, power to back this up. So I kind of grasped the concept of, of the parent-child thing as, as I was younger, but I really didn't grasp it until I became a father, especially a father of a daughter who is just as rotten and full of sass as she is beautiful. Now, but sometimes you just got to let them learn their lesson. You can tell them until you're blue in the face that that stove is hot. If you touch it, you're going to get burnt. And until they reach up and grab the pan and they burn themselves, they don't learn their lesson. You know, if I let Carter do everything that she thought she knew how to do better than me, within the hour, she'd have Scioto County making Sodom and Gomorrah looking like the number one travel destination in the Old Testament. This place would be a heap of ashes. How God lets us do anything on our own accord is well beyond me. And I guess that's just a testament to his patience and mercy for us, is it not? You see, God was letting his people have their way because... They think they knew better, and God would let them run wild for a little bit. And we see this throughout Scripture. And then they drop the ball, and God intervenes. And it just goes to show that we can't do this on our own. We don't have that capacity to do this on our own. And we see that here kicking off in chapter 16. You know, Samuel's pretty upset about Saul being disobedient. I mean, he's, he's tore up. And more or less, God tells Samuel, he's like, Samuel, quit your belly aching. I got it figured out. I know who's going to take over from Saul. I just need you to go pick him out for me. God tells Samuel, hey, I've got this. What's Samuel do? He's not jumping for joy. He's not clicking his heels. He's not praising God. He immediately responds 
to God and says, if Saul finds out what I'm doing, he'll surely kill me. Now let's repeat that again. God tells Samuel, hey, bud, I got it. And he responds in fear for his life from the man that God is about to dethrone. You see the irony here? Better yet, you see yourself here. God himself has selected this man. God told Samuel, go and do. But Samuel's distraught because as far as he can tell, God has just put his life in jeopardy. Samuel didn't rejoice in God's provision. His initial reaction was, was fear of what if. Now, I got off on quite a tangent last night because um, I've been mentoring under Scott, and that's what he likes to do. And then, uh, retrospect, I thought it was pretty good, so I'm going I'm to go on this tangent again this morning. Now, I could spend all day laying, and to you all and, and myself included, about how God has blessed us with just so much provision beyond our wildest imagination, and all he asks of us is to go and share the gospel, make disciples of all nations. How do we react? Most of us don't want to leave our comfort zone. Most of us are afraid of the what if. What if they don't like me anymore? What if I screw up? What if I make a fool of myself? What if I get tongue-tied? What if whatever? You know, we, we have that fear of what people will think. And what's worse is we, we know that we've been commanded by God. But we fear more of what people will think of us rather than the fear of being disobedient to God. And we know what happens when we're disobedient to God. But rather we worry about ourselves and our self-image and what people will think. Now, like I said, I, I don't have all day, but I do have the next 20 minutes, so you guys better buckle up. Uh, in, all, in all seriousness, take, take that home with you, chew on it for a little bit. Do some self-reflection. Think about how often we look at God's command to go and do, and we have the fear of what if, like Samuel did. So God rebuked Samuel. He gets him calmed down. He said, go to Jesse's house. Look at his sons, one of his sons, is the successor. I need you to go and round him up for me. So Samuel gets to Jesse's house, and, and Jesse rounds up all of his boys, and Samuel looks at the oldest one alive, and he said, all right, there's my guy. He's big, tall, handsome, strong. Ironically, all the boxes that, that got, were checked that got, uh, got Saul in into his place of power. God tells Samuel, he's like, hey, pump, pump the brakes. Man judges on physical appearance, but I judge by the heart, and, and not the literal heart. But in Hebrew, the, the concept of the heart is, is what embodies emotions, your will, your desire, your passions, your soul. What, what do you strive for? What's your drive? God looks at us by our heart, not by how we look. You know, Scott gives me and Kayla quite an earful because... Uh, how we dress, and he so lovingly puts it, it looks like we're going to hell on a skateboard. Because we wear all black, we got tattoos, we've got piercings. Um, if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, he brought Kayla up on stage and made fun of her jeans. I don't know if he's expecting you all to throw tomatoes at her and boo her off stage. I, I, I don't know where he was going with that. But Scott, it says right here that God judges on our heart, not based on the fact that I have hoops big enough in my ears that you all can swing from. 
Now I see why he's out of the country this week. He didn't want to preach on this. So Samuel skips over Eliab, and, and he starts moving through all the sons, and he gets into the pack, and he looks at Jesse, and he's like, hey, you got any more? I mean, talk about a blow to the confidence of all of Jesse's sons, right? They know why Samuel's there. And he, he's just like, oh, none of these guys are, are it. So Jesse says, yeah, I still have my youngest son, David. He's out in the field. And, you know, he, ain't, he ain't much to, much to look at. And they're like, all right, well, bring him in. I want to take a look. David comes in, and, and the Lord reveals to Samuel that he is the one that he has chosen. I don't know if Samuel's not the brightest one of the bunch, because deductive reasoning would lead me to believe that David's last son would have to be the one. But God revealed to Samuel that David is. So Samuel anoints David with oil, and it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. A few interesting things to note here. There are some major foreshadowing going on between David and Jesus. In the third chapter of Luke, in verse 21, it says, um, After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and God said, You are my beloved son. And then Jesus' ministry took off. God chose David. He was anointed by having oil poured over his head, and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him, and he was on his way. We know that was the first steps to, to move him into his place of power over Saul. Now, the spirit that, of, of God that descended upon David wasn't a spirit of regeneration. And I, I heard someone ask, well, what does that mean? Someone asked last night, you know, what, what does that mean? See, the spirit of regeneration comes after Pentecost, after Jesus atoned for our sins. That spirit of regeneration is what we get. It's the Holy Spirit that we get after we accept Jesus. But Jesus hadn't atoned for our sins yet, so this Holy, Holy Spirit that came upon David was not a spirit of regeneration. It wasn't a spirit of renewing, but it was a spirit of empowerment. The Holy Spirit that descended upon David was what gave him the ability to tune his heart in line with God and to drive him into doing what God wanted done, to fulfill God's plan for Israel. Another thing I want to mention about David is he's kind of the underdog. You know, he's the young pup, probably not the strongest of the bunch. He's presumably smaller in stature. I mean, naturally, he would be just being the youngest brother. But we see him overcome some incredible feats. See, David wasn't your ideal person that you'd think to be king. He didn't check any of the, the normal boxes. In the same way that Jesus wasn't the king that Israel was expecting. They expected Jesus to be a military leader that was going to come in and overthrow the Roman government. But that's not what he did. In the same way, David doesn't hit all, all those boxes of being a big, strong leader. But God had other things in mind. And soon we'll see him take on Goliath. I believe it's next week that we talk about David and Goliath. You know, the age-old story of the little guy overcoming an impossible task the least expected coming out on top. And this is a, a reoccurring theme with God. We see it all throughout the Bible. Why is that? Because it shows impossible triumphs over opposition and ultimately brings God more glory. Oftentimes we like to put ourselves in the position of the little guy, right? We like to think, oh, I'm the underdog. I'm the up-and-comer. You know. This is my Goliath I'm going to take down. I put myself in David's shoes. This is my Goliath. 
But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing the next week. That's not about us. It's not about us defeating our Goliath, us defeating our sin. That is about Jesus defeating sin, Jesus overcoming. Right? It's not about us. We will continue to see this trend as we follow David. Although he is selected by God to be king, he refers to himself more so as prince, leaving God the Father as king. Now it says that, that David was a man after God's own heart. And we do know that David had quite the wild streak in him, as we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks. But it says that David was after God's own heart. Like I said earlier, that means David strived to follow God's passion, to do God's will. Meaning he kept God's commands, unlike Saul. He was still a sinner, and, and we'll see that he, when he flubs up here in a, in a few weeks when we, when we get to it, he asked God, he said, God, don't take your spirit from me. He was still a sinner. We're all sinners. But he was still inclined to follow God and to fulfill God's plan. Now, I started off by reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, which speaks of God's grace and kindness, and that was a big picture I wanted to get across this morning. We've been building up to that, and we see that unfold in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. In verse 14, it shows the Spirit of God leaving Saul, and then God sends a spirit of torment upon him and fills Saul with depression and fear. Now, hang on to that for a second. That doesn't sound like God now, does it? God pulled his spirit back off Saul and then sick the demon on him to drive him into depression and fear. How many of you were taken back by that? Because when I was reading this, I was like, whoa, hold on. God is love. God is gracious. God is kind. God wouldn't do that. Or would he? You know, I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, Matt's been driving it into my head to listen to more podcasts. and So I'm trying to trying to follow in his footsteps a little bit, but I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it's a fella that, that grew up in the underground music scene, in the, the rock and roll scene, in the skateboarding scene. He, he grew up as a, as a punk, but he's now a Christian. He's banded together with other Christians within that same realm of the skateboarding and, and the rock and roll kind of stuff, but he's using that spot to reach out to people that don't normally hear the gospel. And that's kind of similar to what I was doing about 10 years ago with some of the bands that I was running around with. But these guys are doing it on a much larger scale. And God be with them. God bless that ministry because they're going into schools. They're doing a little bit of skateboarding, playing a little bit of music, and then showing kids what Jesus really is about. And they're just being real with the kids because these guys grew up in broken homes. These guys grew up on the streets. They know what it's like. And they're just being real with the kids. And I think that's awesome. But they had a guest on the show by the name of Austin Carlisle. Now, I don't expect very many people in here to know who Austin Carlisle is, with the exception of my wife and maybe Brady. To put it in perspective, Austin Carlisle was the Michael Jackson in his prime of the heavy music scene about 10 to 15 years ago. Michael Jackson was the king of pop. Austin Carlisle was the king of what they call post-hardcore. When he first came on, Onto the scene, he was writing songs with Christian overtones. He was claiming the faith and saying this was for God. 
And as he quickly rose to stardom, he abandoned his faith. Once he got a little taste of that rock and roll life, he dipped out. He was selling out nationwide arenas, touring the world. Everything that he could have wanted was right at his fingertips, all the money, the fame, the women, anything he wanted. But then that all came crashing down. Due to medical problems, he lost his ability to perform completely. He has a degenerative disease now that, that affects the connective tissue in his body, so his joints no longer work. His heart is falling apart within his chest. He was bedridden, multiple surgeries. He was right at death's door. And all while this was going on, he was facing allegations of, of sexual abuse and among other things. I mean, it, it was just pouring on him. Overnight, the, his reign as king was swept out from under. Now, whether or not those allegations were true, I don't know. I read evidence for and against, and he's denied them. But what I do know is that in the midst of all of that, he came forward and he said, God, I've done a lot of messed up things. I've done a lot of things that the world won't forgive me for, but I pray that you will. He took all of his sins to the cross and sought forgiveness for everything that he's done. And in 2016, he made a public statement saying that if there's ever a time that I can come back to do music again, it'll be for the Lord. I'm a Christian now. I've seen the error of my ways. I've sought forgiveness. And that was the final nail in the coffin for his stardom. Because there was people that were hoping, you know, despite all the allegations that maybe one day the, the king will come back, he'll get better, he'll, he'll take back over. And he said, that's, that's not me anymore. If I can ever come back, it'll be for the Lord. He no longer found his worth in his music, in his stardom, in his fame. He found his worth at the foot of the cross, in the arms of his Savior. And he said, had it not been for all the suffering he had to endure with, with his disease, with all the surgeries, with losing his mom, he would have never came to Christ. And he considers all of that, you know, he was just absolutely thankful for it. And the verse that was mentioned in this interview was Romans 8.28. And 8.28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That doesn't say that God only causes the good things to work for the good of those that love him. It says everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. So would, would God send a tormenting spirit for the purpose of his kingdom? You know, this isn't the only place we see this in Scripture. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Job. And I think we can all relate to that in, in some way, shape, or form, especially when we're going through difficult times. You know, my, my brother's been through a lot. And he always asks me, he's like, why, why is this happening? Why is this going on? I tell him, Bub, I don't know. And then I start preaching from Job to him. And I think we've all, all been there. And if not, we there will be a point in our lives where we can relate to that. But let's unpack what's going on with Saul here. God, in his sovereignty, sent this tormenting spirit upon Saul to fulfill his plan. 
Although Saul was still on the throne physically, the Holy Spirit that empowered him to be king was stripped away and had left him. And it sent him into a spiraling descent. Now you're sitting here thinking, Nathan, you were just talking about grace and kindness. This spirit doesn't seem kind. Part of God's plan, yeah, I, can, I could probably jive with that, but it doesn't seem anything like grace. And I'll agree with you. I couldn't wrap my head around it. At least not at first. But like clockwork, I was handed a bit of scripture to write a sermon on on something that I needed to wrestle with myself. I'm going to be real honest. The, the past few years for the, for the wolf pack has been pretty tough. <clears throat> you know, we found out about Carter's abuse. Mom's had quite a few dramatic health scares. I got hit by a bus. Kayla got cancer. Um, my brother's been through a lot through a divorce and, and trying to be the father for his kids that he needs to be and just really going through it. I'm in a job that leaves very little time for my family, for the church. Praise the Lord that my boss took over for me yesterday and today so I could be here with you this morning. And I'm forever thankful for that. But I'm going to be honest, I'm constantly burnt out dealing with the stress and the depression, the culmination of all these things. And then I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. A new position at work that would get me home by 5 o'clock every night. Be off on the weekends. I could finally be the husband I wanted to be, the father that I wanted to be. I could be here at the church every weekend. I came with a nice little pay raise, and that was, that was a little added benefit to that. And I was like, oh, man, it's, it's right there. I can see the finish line. I'm trucking down this tunnel. I can see the light. It's almost in my grasp. I can taste it. I get right there, and the tunnel caves in on me. Me, a first-round draft pick, was skipped over. I didn't get the job. Now, I, left, I lost out for some reasons that, that I'm not going to go into, but it left me even more bitter and jaded. I was miserably, miserably defeated. You can ask Kayla, I was, I was quite the miserable person for a couple weeks. Now listen, I know we have families here today that are going through much, much worse and would jump in a heartbeat to switch places. I, I'm not up here for sympathy. I'm not up here going, woe is me. I'm not asking for pity or trying to make this uh, an arms race to keep the, the phrase PG. I'm not, I'm not making this a contest. But what I am doing is trying to keep transparency in someone that's trying to be your pastor one day. Saul was plagued with this because rather than obeying God, he kept trying to take things into his own hands. As a man, as a father, as a husband, as a supervisor, I'm inclined to fix things. I'm inclined to take matters into my own hands. Arguably to a fault. I would rather do a job myself rather than sit back and let someone else do it or someone help because I know I'll get it done right. I want to be in control. 
and all those situations that I had just talked about. I had it in my mind what I needed to do to keep my family moving forward. Whatever I had to do. I thought if I could just get justice for my daughter. I thought if I could just some way, some form, help my mother through her health crises and help my dad alleviate some of the stress that he was dealing with while watching my mom's health deteriorate. The day I was hit by the bus while delivering mail, because once again, I took matters into my own hands, I was thinking, I got another 30 years of this, I'm gonna grind the post office to the top, make a nice living, preach a little bit here or there, and then I'm gonna retire. And I got hit by a bus. And that was God telling me, hey, buddy, there's, there's more to this life than you just working at the post office. I got something else in mind for you, but you need to wake up. And then we got the news about Kayla. And I was thinking, man, all right. I'm not a doctor. I can't do anything with cancer. All I could think about was, what am I going to do to step up as a father, step up as a husband? Something happens to her. How am I going to tell my daughter? How am I going to play both roles? How am I going to push through? Then all the, the job positions that have came open that were right on the horizon for me over the past couple years since I've been hit by the bus, just out of reach. And I thought how much things would be better for me had I got those positions. And I'll tell you, God was in the picture during all of these events, but God wasn't the picture. You feel me? I read this about Saul, about this tormenting spirit that God had left with him. And I thought maybe God had done the same to me. We don't just see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament, too, that, that sometimes God will send an afflicting spirit, whether it be out of judgment, whether it be out of trying to make us grow, to refine us, to make us stronger in our faith. Whatever it may be, we can be sure that it is working for God's plan, that it's not meaningless. The question is, how are you reacting? Are you like me? Are you like Saul, constantly trying to take matters into your own hands? Or are you saying, God, I need you? Are you falling to your knees and saying, God, I can't do it anymore? Not one time during any of these trials did I ever see it as God showing me, Nathan, you can't have control. Nathan, you have to trust in me. One of my favorite bands had released a, a new song, and I started listening to it yesterday before I preached, and it uh, really resonated with me 
title of the song is, is Let Go, and I hate this cliche, and it's so corny, but man, is it true. We have to let go and let God. See, Saul's issue was that there was no obedience prior to the storm or even in the midst of his storm. His focus was on his wants and his afflictions. But even in that disobedience, we still see that God poured his grace out on Saul through David. And this was God's divine plan coming together. See, David was a mighty fine heart player. I mean, he, he was the Van Halen of, of playing harp. And David was chosen to play the harp for Saul because when David would play the harp, it would drive the distressing spirit away from him and give him comfort. That was David's means to get in alongside Saul's court so he could start working his way up. And we know that David inevitably became king. It's like a puzzle, isn't it? I used to love doing jigsaw puzzles when I was a kid with my mamaw, and I love doing puzzles now with my daughter. And when you dump all the pieces out, you think, man, there is no way that this is all going to come together and make something beautiful. Especially when you pick up one piece and you hyper-focus on it. When you're looking at one piece and it's right there in front of your face, you can't put it down to see the bigger picture. Now, I believe that the, the Spirit was sent by God ultimately to fulfill his plan and to move David into a seat of power and to usher Saul out. Now, this next part is what I think, so take it with a grain of salt, but I would argue that it could have very well been a means to work on Saul because we know that God is love. We know that God is compassionate. I think God was giving Saul an opportunity to turn away from what he had been doing and to turn back to him. But we see that, that Saul, rather than being obedient, continues to turn away, to dwell in his misery, and he continues to disobey God. We've got a choice here on how do we react. Are we going to let the fire refine us? Or are we going to let it burn us up? Do we see it as grace from our Heavenly Father, molding us, driving us closer to the cross? Or are we going to let it drain the life from us with fear and depression? You know, I said earlier, I brought up my struggles as a means of transparency. And in the light of that, I'm going to be honest with you yet again that I fell, on, I fell in line with Saul. I didn't see this as grace. I didn't see this as a means to grow, a means to drive me to God. I looked at it in pain and misery, and I dwelled on it. I thought, how am I going to take control? How am I going to make this better? How am I going to push us ahead and keep things going when the world around us is collapsing? And after reflecting on this sermon, I've, I've changed my perspective on it. And it's not easy. It's hard to stand in the midst of what feels like spiritual attack and see the grace in it. Now, when I was a kid, I hated getting spanked and, and getting in trouble. 
when I was real young, I, I didn't understand, and I thought, man, my parents are, are mean. Mom would light me up, and then Dad would come home from work, and Mom would tell Dad what I'd done, and then it was, it was on for real. But I can look back on that now with gratitude. Because now, you know, they set me on the straight and narrow. Doesn't mean I don't screw up. Doesn't mean I didn't screw up. Doesn't mean I didn't do dumb things as a teenager. Kayla has got quite a story to tell you where she's been subbing at my old high school. <laughs> she's heard some things, but for the most part, mom and dad kept me, kept me in check, and I, I look back on that with gratitude. In the same way that I'm grateful for what God has allowed, I may not understand it, but I know that there will be one day when I can look back in thankfulness for what God has allowed. And I know for sure that I'll look back and think, God, had I not been so bullheaded through a lot of this, I probably could have saved myself a whole lot of grief. You see, a child no more sees the discipline that molds them as kind as we do the suffering that God allows us to grow closer to him. Now I want to read you all a quote from from the great John Piper. He's an incredible pastor. And some of you may have heard this as it is sampled in a in a fairly new worship song by Shane and Shane called um, Though You Slay Me. But but Piper says, Not only is your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to the eternity and glory there, but it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or the fallen man, every millisecond of your misery, and listen to this part, and the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory that you will get because of that. Piper goes on to say, I don't care if it's cancer or criticism. I don't care if it's slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It is not meaningless. Of course we can't see what it's doing. Like we, like we heard earlier, there's things going on that we can't see. We can't judge just based on what we can see. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you get cancer at 40, when a car creams onto the sidewalk and takes them out, don't scream it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you, an eternal way of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths day by day and focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your heart and into your mind till your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. Even in Saul's suffering, as disobedient as he was, God showed him grace and mercy through David, who was obedient to God. He showed him grace and mercy through his ability to play the harp, and it soothed him think on that for a moment God even took Saul and his selfishness and his disobedience and his stubbornness 
to usher in David, who we know is the lineage, whose lineage leads us to Jesus. It all works for God's glory. What little sliver of grace that befell Saul with David has been amplified for us, has it not? God has shown us tremendous grace that we don't deserve, and we see evidence of that in the gospel. Jesus came to life, born of a virgin, or came, came to earth, lived a perfect life, perfect, sinless life, went to the cross, died a criminal's death, suffered the blast of hell, and still rose from the dead, showing that all of man's sins was not strong enough to keep him in that grave. And there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrected Christ so we can have ample faith in him. We can put our trust in him and know that he's paid the price for our sins on that cross. And those of us that, that put our faith in him have eternal, lasting life because of what he's done, not what we do, not what we can do. He is our gracious Savior given to us by our Heavenly Father. Despite all our disobedience, despite our own fall from grace, we are not owed an ounce of mercy. We're not owed an ounce of kindness. We're not owed an ounce of grace. But yet, He who sits on the throne has poured out so much love and mercy for us. And to quote a song from the band that I ran around with back in the day, Shook, He has more grace than we have sin to embrace. We don't deserve it. But God showers us with kindness. I was talking to my boss about everything that's been going on. He said, you know, we praise him through the storm. We can acknowledge that it's raining, but we're going to praise him through the storm. His grace for us is tremendous. And sometimes it's hard to see that. So when, it, when we're in those times where we feel like we're being tormented by those spirits, or we're faced with pain, we're faced with fear, we're faced with depression, anxiety, when it feels like our world's collapsing around us, God help us not to be so self-willed like Saul. Help us not try to take matters into our own hands, but let us drop to our knees at the foot of the cross and say, God, I can't do it. God, I need you. God, help me stay obedient to you. Help my heart long for what your heart longs for. God, help us stay obedient. Let his will be done let it push us to the cross, trust in our Savior's work, and know that it is all for his glory and all for his plan. And we'll be better off for it, will we not? All right, church, if you would please join me in prayer, I'll wrap this up and we'll get us out of here. Dear Heavenly Father, it's... Um, it's hard for us to 
to see the, the light in the midst of, of the darkness. It's hard to see when you are refining us to see the grace in it. But God, when we're faced with that, let us be reminded of your love and your grace for us, what you've already done for us on the cross, and know that it is temporary and it is not meaningless. Let us be reminded that it is doing something. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us. As I know, there are many of us in this church this morning that are struggling, that are going through it. But let us find solace in your love and your grace, even in the midst of the storm. We may be able to acknowledge that it's raining, but God, let us be reminded of your love and grace. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a great week. God be with you. We'll see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.